Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we talk about the Pistons stutters this season. Uh, special guest Shamik Mohile, Ben Gulker, and I offer letter grades for each of the starters based upon their performance this year, and we go into the narrative of how Reggie Jackson, Blake Griffin, and Andre Drummond will look together next season. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what you guys are looking for. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am joined this week by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you? Doing great. Good to be back. Excited to uh, talk some starters. Let's do this. And uh, we're also joined today by uh, a special guest, Pistons expert and uh, currently uh, homeless analyst, Shamik Mohile. Sham, how are you doing? Pretty good, guys. Uh, yeah, free agent right now. Uh, still holding on for that max deal. Man, just take the MLE and be happy with it. <laughs> I'll be happy if I get a veteran's minimum at this point. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so you know the rules. We're going to talk about the uh, the starters this week. We're giving out letter grades. Um, for those at home, we're doing uh, A is exceeded expectations, B is met expectations, uh, C is below expectations, we have D for dick minus, and then uh, F for failed expectations. Uh, the dick minus was Ben's idea. And so, Ben, as our as our current honored guest, uh, let's start with you. What, what letter grade would you give Reggie Jackson to us to start the year? In the year? Reggie Jackson. So I thought about Reggie... Pre-injury and post-injury. I really liked Reggie pre-injury. I would give him a B plus. Um, I thought the thing that gives him gives him a B plus for me rather than a B was um, I thought he did a better job of deferring as appropriate this year. Um, you know, his tendency is to, to be a little ball huggy, and I thought uh, they had a pretty nice offense for the first chunk of the season where he was healthy. I thought he did a, a good job adapting to the motion offense. Uh, and really like the way he played. Post-injury, you know, it's hard to criticize him because it was obviously a very serious injury. Wasn't as big of a fan. He still obviously helped the team a lot, but you could tell he was diminished. Um, so I give him incomplete for post-injury because uh, I'm just going to chalk up a little bit of that not-quite-Reggie-like play uh, to that lingering ankle injury. Shan, what about you? I think you have to go incomplete on the whole season. Um so before the injury, he had a had one team, and then when he came back from an injury, he had a totally different team. So as the point guard and and clearly the most important piece of this offense, um, I think you kind of have to give him an incomplete because he doesn't – the consistency was different from the beginning to the end. So that's, that's interesting to me. I was thinking about giving him a C, but for similar reasons, just because there wasn't really – it's it's hard to know where to place expectations with him 
coming in uh, post injury. And, you know, prior to the injury, he, you know, wasn't the guy he was two years ago when they made the playoffs. But uh, with the with the new offense, he didn't kind of have to be. He had he had come up big in a couple fourth quarters. There was the big fourth quarter against Atlanta. There was the big fourth quarter against New York. But um, yeah, I I I was just going to give him a C because that's that's kind of in the middle. Um, but incomplete is definitely like an interesting way to to envision Reggie Jackson's year. All right, so numerically, he wasn't that much off from where he was before. Uh, Fourteen points, five assists couple rebounds um right around his career average and like assist rate ben so uh he was distributing about like what you'd expect um 42 from the floor which is not great 30 31 percent give or take from three which is also not great but if i remember correctly he shot like something horrendous after the injury so uh, yeah you have to look at his pre-injury splits to get a better idea of his shooting for sure yeah i mean how how much how much longer can this team kind of continue to rely on uh, a guy with Reggie Jackson's skill set with his injury issues? Uh, Sham, you first. I mean, I feel like the addition of Blake Griffin gave the Pistons an extra ball handler on the offense. So in theory, you would need to rely on him less than before. But I don't know. This offense is built for Reggie Jackson. It's built for a healthy Reggie Jackson. And we saw, even with Blake Griffin, how, how much they, they, they struggled. Um, so I feel as, like as long as Stan Van Gundy is the coach and as long as the core is what it is, I feel like he's the most important piece. Ben, do you agree? I agree that he's the most important piece as long as Van Gundy is the coach and as long as Reggie Jackson is a piston. I mean – Playing with Blake Griffin is going to present opportunities for Reggie, but it's also going to present challenges because both of those guys um, do some of their best work with their ball in their hands. I think Blake probably has more versatility off the ball than Reggie. Reggie off the ball, I mean, the most you can hope for is a a spot-up three. Blake, I think you can get him involved as the role man, as the pick-and-roll uh, the pick and roll guy, and obviously diving to the basket and those kinds of things. Um, but how long can they stick with Reggie? I think it would be a little bit premature to try to move him anytime immediately soon because you haven't even had the chance to see what this what this team is capable of. But, uh, you know, I'm not the world's biggest Reggie Jackson fan. And if, if there's a trade that uh, brings back a point guard who meshes better with the roster and maybe frees up a little salary long term because you've got Reggie Jackson's contract expiration staring you in the face and we've talked a lot about the the context of uh the piston salary profile which is pretty challenging um so i'm not at all opposed to moving him if if there's the, a better fit that comes along over the next handful of months all right i think that's a fair assessment overall of reggie jackson let's uh let's move on to a guy i uh they didn't actually start that much but i want to talk about him in the context uh, as a starter, and which is where I think he's he's going to be for this team moving forward, and, and that's Luke Kennard. Now, obviously, like Luke is not, um, he's not starting, and he's not Donovan Mitchell. I feel like I have to preface everything I say with Luke Kennard is not Donovan Mitchell, which is annoying. He's been, which is super annoying. But he's been a really effective offensive piece for the Pistons. Um, Sham, you, uh, your, I guess it's your turn to go first. Kind of what what letter grade would you give Luke Kennard for his rookie year? I'd probably give him a B, um, which has met expectations. I, I think the, the, the Pistons brought him on to be 
a good shooter, good in a limited role, and I think that's exactly what he was. He didn't he didn't light up the box score like Donovan Mitchell, nor did he really be like nor was he a net negative. And I, I honestly thought he was really gonna struggle on defense this year, but he was I would say a little bit below an average defender, which is way better than I thought he would be his first season in the NBA. Ben, uh, what, what letter grade would you give Luke? Yeah, I'm higher on Luke. Um, it may have as much to do with expectations as anything. I have him as an A- minus in my notes. Um, I agree defensively. He was significantly better than I would have hoped for, even though he wasn't a lockdown defender by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, he was a shooter, as expected, but the things he did offensively, two things in particular – um, first one, he is, he's really good without the ball. Um, you can tell he came from a, a high IQ basketball system in college. He puts himself in the right situations and he puts himself in situations where his skill set can be effective and productive. Second thing is he's a much better passer than I would have expected. Uh, I think there's a lot of room for him to grow there. Still got some work to do with his handle, um, but I think his passing ability, if he gets more minutes and a little bit bigger role, uh, next season, his passing ability could be extremely helpful uh, in the starting unit, and I, I'd like to see him start. So he averaged only seven points a game, but that was in limited minutes, obviously, off the bench. Uh, 44% from the floor, 41.5% from three, which is really good. I think that was third highest among like uh, consistent rotation players that are still left on the Pistons behind Tolliver and Bullock. Actually, he, he actually led the team in net rating, in, in individual net rating, which doesn't tell you a lot because net rating is a, a team statistic, but it's still kind of impressive overall. He was like plus three and a half, I think. Uh, for me, uh, actually, what impressed me the most was his his ability to not be a, like a huge net negative on defense. I think that was the that was really the key for me when I was uh, thinking about him as a draft prospect. It was like, okay, this guy is going to get put in pick and rolls mercilessly, and just going to and that's going to like unravel a defense and like how will will he be good enough offensively to offset that and well he's been really good offensively and he's also like not been a net negative on defense he averaged like a little over a half of a steal which i think is more than anyone expected um he was a he did a really good job of like helping out on the weak side um like staying at the nail and like getting his hands in the passing lanes and stuff um he was not anyone's like ideal on ball defender, but uh, he competes on that end, which is like really all you can ask for for a rookie uh, with his skill set. And he's also like a not bad rebounder for a guard with his wingspan. Uh, he's got T Rex arms, arms that are uh, shorter than his height, but uh, <laughs> he has like a real knack for like getting rebounds and and pushing the ball ahead and keeping the offense going. So I, I think I would give Luke an A, um, not a minus. But uh, but a flat A. I of course had uh, low expectations of him going into the season. I saw the Langston Galloway signing and uh, the Avery Bradley trade, and I figured he wouldn't see the floor much. And uh, him performing the way he did um, in the minutes that he got, and he made himself really uh, integral to this team moving forward. And I'm excited to see what he's got uh, next season. Uh, okay, next up is Reggie Bullock. Uh, ben, what what grade would you give Reggie Bullock for the year? Reggie Bullock is a B plus for me. I think the thing that holds him back is his health. Um, some obviously not under his control, and, and maybe Sham, you can weigh in a little bit on, on your opinions about the Pistons' health because I know you have some strong ones related to um, 
the training staff. And I think our listeners might be interested in hearing some of that. But I really like Reggie Bullock. He is probably one of the best values in the NBA. His contract is absurdly low for his production. And I think um, when he's healthy and fully engaged, he's more, not a lot more, but he's more than just a spot-up shooter. And I think that's useful. He's also, I think, a pretty solid defender. I would call him an above-average defender. Um, It'll be interesting to see if they uh, roll with Luke or Reggie Bullock at the two next year or if they maybe try to start both of them and slide Reggie over to the three, that'll be something interesting to look out for. Uh, but I, I really like Reggie Bullock. I, I hope we can keep him around. I think he's probably going to command a payday here, not in the too distant future. So again, salary cap becomes an issue. Um, but, but I like Reggie. I, I think he was good this year. Sham. Uh, so I don't know, maybe this is kind of weird because it's very different than what, what Ben just said, but I, I would give him an A plus 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 plus. Uh, I think, I mean, he, so when, so when the, when the Pistons signed him, I didn't envision him to be anything more than what he was previously with the Pistons, which is kind of like a roster filler, just kind of like, a, like a, a depth guy, just in case Luke Kennard didn't really pan out. And, you know, after he got big minutes or, or whatnot, but he completely exceeded my expectations. He was one of the most consistent players that the Pistons had all season. And I truly think, had it not been for the resurgence and um, you know coming of age of Reggie Bullock, I think the Pistons would have been in a really, really bad place. Not that they're in a good place now, but a really, really bad place pre-Blake trade. So yeah, A plus plus. He was my like if I had to do like a Pistons most improved player, that'd be my guy. Uh, but yeah, but I I'm, I might be in the minority and being that high on Reggie Bullock right now. Plus, he was a good defender. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to expectations because I thought highly of Reggie coming into the season. So maybe that's where the disconnect is because I, I totally agree with your assessment of how good he was. So this might be an expectations thing. Absolutely. I think I had low expectations for Reggie going into the year because of the injury history and uh, because it was what this is, what, his fifth year? Guys usually don't like have a career turnaround this large in, in year five. Um, you know, he was a restricted free agent. Like no one wanted him basically comes back to the team on like a one plus one. And he's an, it's, he's an insane value and he's starting to show like a burgeoning off the dribble game. He had a really nice, he had really nice chemistry with Blake Griffin, uh, immediately from, uh, their like short time together in LA, which I thought was pretty interesting and kind of funny that, uh, like these two guys, like one guy's uh, an alleged superstar that's like in Detroit and one guy's like this uh, glorified role player and like they just work really well together. I thought that was kind of weird and funny. But um, yeah, I would give him an A+. Plus. I'm not going to add like five pluses because like that's not necessary, <laughs> Sham. But uh, Man, these are my grades. I thought, no. <laughs> Shots no, fired. No, that's true. Fair. Yeah, no, it's my show though. So, <laughs> so I guess – the the logical follow up question is that like he's due he's got a team option for two point five mil next season that's gonna get exercised. How much money would do you think Reggie Bullock is gonna get on the open market in what twenty nineteen twenty twenty yeah twenty nineteen twenty twenty? Sham. I I have no idea. I, I mean I I thought I had an understanding of the market, but then Lou Williams got a pretty cheap deal, so. I I'm just not sure. I I feel like he should get around 10 million per year, but who knows? I mean the 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 cap is very is very sensitive from year to year. So 
I'm going to defer to you on that one. You're more of the cap guy than I am, but I feel like he should at least get $10 million per year. Ben, what do you, what do you think roughly what he's about worth? So is he a better player than Contavious Caldwell-Pope? Let's ask that question. Um, my opinion is yes. KCP's probably a better defender still, but he is much better offensively. And KCP only got a one-year deal. What was it, 16 or $18 million, I think, something like that. $10 million feels low to me, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I think the question is like, can he prove that he's a legit starter for the course of an 82 game season? And man, you know, the Pistons have a decision to make whether or not they're even going to start him. So that may impact some of his market value a bit. I think personally, I, I do think he's a starting caliber player. I think that 10 to $14 million range is not unreasonable for him. Um, and I think he's the kind of guy that can fill out a lot of different types of rotations and offensive strategies. I think his offensive game, as you mentioned, Les, I think you mentioned it, his ability off the bounce has improved um, significantly this season. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to, get, to see him get starter money for sure. So I'll be really curious to see what uh, what a guy like Joe Harris gets this offseason because Joe Harris had a very uh, similar breakout season in that he like shot over 40% from three and showed like a little bit of uh, athleticism off the bounce and the ability to, to defend. And that's an extremely valuable player on the wing, but uh, like what premium does that come at? So uh, honestly, I can see like Reggie Bullock getting like a mid-level deal, whatever the cap is at in a year and a half. Um, I can see him signing for like the mid-level for a couple of years on that. Um, I think 10, my 10 to 11 might be like a little much, maybe closer to like nine or 10, but like, it's definitely clear that like he could very well be like a seven digit, six digit. Uh, he could be like a $10 million a year player. And I don't know if the Pistons would be able to retain him at that price. And that'd be unfortunate. Kind of depends on where he wants to go, right? Like if he wants to go play for a playoff team, he's probably going to have to sacrifice some money. But if he wants to go play for one of those 30-win teams that has some money to spend and strikes out, he could maybe get a little bit bigger That's deal. That's true. I mean, well, the Pistons are going to win 50 games next year, <laughs> so they'll be a playoff. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, with that in mind, I guess we come to the, the two big guys. Um, I forget who went first last time, so I'm just going to go with Ben. Uh, ben, what would you give? What letter grade would you give uh, Blake Griffin for his twenty uh, odd games with the Pistons this year? Oh man, Blake Griffin and I have to go first. I mean, I'm not as high on Blake as a lot of people are. I see him as an above average player, um, who I think is not very good defensively, but makes up for that with versatility on offense and. To be perfectly honest, he was basically the player in Detroit that I expect him to be, so I have to give him a flat B. Um, if I were grading him objectively, though, I would be a little bit tougher because I don't, I don't think he's ever going to produce up to his contract, uh, and, and I, I'm really concerned about how his game is going to age. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to hope for the best, but not be particularly surprised if you know he only plays 50 games next year, and, and that really hurts the team. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he is who he is, I, I think, and... That's that's a better than average player who's good but not great with uh, with some weaknesses uh, in his game. Hmm. What would so obviously like defensively they didn't really uh, they they still had like the hard hedging uh, pick and roll coverage when he started and like that was a mistake because like he can't cover that much ground on defense anymore. Um, but like Sham, what did, what did you think of him defensively? I guess and and in his role overall. I think defensively he was average. 
but that's kind of what I expected. I never, I never expected him to come in and be this defensive stalwart, um, you know, lockdown defender. I expected him to be able to hold his own, and right now, I think he did. Whether he does that in three years from now, when we're paying him uh, a, a buttload of of money, then that's a different story. But I think right now, he was an average defender. He can he gets the job done. Um, overall, I think he he. He slight he was slightly above the expectations that I had for him. I thought he was going to come in and shoot right around his league average, maybe like 32, 31% from three. But he ended up shooting like close to 35%, which is pretty good. And he showed a nice spot-up touch, which is something that I didn't really – I didn't know he was that good at doing that. Maybe that's an anomaly in 25 games or whatnot. Um, there were some, some holes. I would like to see him uh, – get to the line more often uh, and that just comes with attacking the rim more often, but that's kind of tough when you play with a guy like Andre Drummond who parks himself underneath the paint. But yeah, I, I thought he was slightly above the expectations I had for him. So if I had to throw a grade at him, I would say like a B plus. So what do you, what do you think Sham of the, the long-term fit of Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond? Like do those guys fit together in the 2018 through like 2022 like version of the NBA because I think that's that's the loudest critique I hear. Uh, well, that's one of the louder critiques I hear around the, the Blake Griffin trade. That can can you play those guys together in a, in a space and pace league? I think you can, and and I think I think Blake Griffin is enough of, although he might not be like like a you know like a knockdown shooter from three. He provides enough of a threat that it pulls defenders away from the rim to allow for Andre Drummond to work in the paint and roll to the rim off of the pick and roll. But I do think there are going to be limitations. Like if, if Blake starts to go cold and he starts to miss a lot of shots, defenders are going to start to sag off of him uh, when he's standing at the corner or the, the top of the key with the ball. So I also think his playmaking ability helps him a little bit where he can, he can distribute and be a threat in that regard. But I think it, I think we, we saw that they do kind of work with a point guard who can shoot. Um, so yeah, we'll see. It's only been 25 games that he's been on the team and only a handful that he's played with a, a point guard who can shoot above 30% from three. So we'll see. Yeah, I think that's fair. So in in three years, in 2020-21, Blake Griffin will be making uh, $36.8 million for, to play basketball for the Detroit Pistons. And like that, the fact, that fact pisses a lot of people off, like just point blank, period. So when I evaluate Blake Griffin, I try to uh, divorce the val- the monetary value of his contract, like with the player that they have on the court, and like that's really it's hard to do because the Pistons are so limited um, salary cap wise. That's difficult to do because you don't. Some people are more optimistic about how his game will age than others. You heard um, Ben kind of speak on that a little bit earlier about how he doesn't think he'll look that great a couple years down the road. But uh, but for me, um, when I'm thinking about how Blake Griffin performed this year, um, I saw nothing that uh, I imagine he can't do like two years from now. Um, he was not a super explosive player. And like if he had been for like 10 games and then fallen off, like I would have been worried. But like, no, he was a he had like some nice like dunks and like one like really nice block. But like he wasn't. He wasn't like the above the rim, like car jumping guy that like he was like three years ago. And like, we were never going to get 
that guy. What he was was like a really nice like offensive like hub. Um, he's a much better passer than I remembered. He was a he has like slowly improved as a shooter. And there was a really nice story by uh, by Lee Jenkins Jenkins from uh, Sports Illustrated when he was still with the Clippers about the work he's put into uh, making himself a better three point shooter. Um, he has a lot of of gravity, for lack of a better term, and I think that I think gravity is an overused term, but like he, the defense definitely like knows where Blake Griffin is at all times, and honestly, like that's something the Pistons like have not had in a really long time. Um, obviously, it's not like a panacea with without Reggie Jackson and without a point guard who could space the floor of the offense. Like still devolved a lot into like Blake posting up on the left side of the floor and like clearing everybody out and like kind of seeing how it goes, which is not a way that you want to run an offense in 2018. But um, hopefully like with a point guard who in ish in Reggie Jackson, who's like capable of shooting threes and in ish Smith who uh, towards the end of the year showed himself more willing to take threes and more, more willing to uh, give what the defense takes him. I think he can be, uh, he was definitely like an effective offensive player, but I think he can be uh, even more so moving forward. I'd have to give him like a B plus, for a letter grade, not quite an A. Um, I thought I too thought he would get to the foul line more, and I wonder how much of that is just him putting on the Pistons uniform and uh, and playing and playing for the Pistons uh, to go Detroit versus everybody a little bit. But uh, but yeah, I would I would give Blake Griffin a B plus. All right, last but uh, certainly not least, um, Sham, what, what what would you say about Andre Drummond's year? What what letter grade would you give him? Uh, I would give him an A. I think, I think the one thing that kind of harmed Andre Drummond's um, development this year, which is kind of silly because it helped the Pistons overall, I think, was the addition of Blake Griffin, and it kind of took away the the passing of Andre Drummond. I believe his assists per game went down significantly. Um, <clears throat> since since the arrival of Blake, and I think Andre Drummond was still trying to figure out how to play with him, uh, you know, towards the end of the season. But before the Blake trade, he was dominant. I mean, he still was dominant on the boards. Um, he showed a ridiculous improvement from the free throw line, something that I never even could fathom. I thought he was going to be a forty five percent free throw shooter at best, but he ended up shooting like twelve percent better than Lonzo Ball this year. So, uh you can't really ask for much more in terms of improvements from a big man, but I'd be, I'm, I'm excited to see where Andre Drummond's ceiling is next year and what his expectations are going into next year um, with playing with Blake Griffin and with a healthy Reggie Jackson. Uh, so yeah, I would say an A is a reasonable grade for him. I like the, uh, the subtle shot or not so subtle shot shot at Lonzo ball. Well played champ. <laughs> ben, uh, what letter grade would you give Andre for his year? Yeah, Andre's an A-plus for me, um, two particular reasons. Um, first one, the free-throw shooting, Sham's already covered it. I mean, pretty close to unprecedented improvement. You know, the fact that he can remain on the floor during the last two to three minutes of a basketball game is just in and of itself just a monumental improvement, and he deserves an enormous amount of credit for that. Uh, second thing I would say, um, I think we're seeing um, improvements as a team defender. He's still not a dominant defender. He manages to uh, have a pretty nice D rating depending on where you're looking because he blocks shots and he gets steals. Um, But I think the thing in previous years where 
people have been critical as defenses, a lot of missed rotations uh, and a lot of getting lost, particularly two rotations away from the play still happens. He's still not perfect. Um, But I think he made some improvements. I think that's happening less frequently. I I think, um, you know, maybe it's because, uh, and I think Sham, you may have written about this. um, The surgery had over the summer, maybe he's not as fatigued as he's been and he's able to be engaged more often. I, I think the next step defensively for him is to be engaged 95 to 100% of the time on that end because there are still some plays where it looks like he just checks out. And I think for him to to really maximize his potential, he's got to be um, as imposing a presence around the basket defensively as he is as a rebounder. Uh, so that'll be the challenge for him next year. So, Sham, you brought up what I think is uh, the most interesting question surrounding Andre Drummond moving forward, which was uh, the question of like his assist, his assist numbers. So earlier in the year, like we saw him operating as like the hub of the offense, but at the same time, like these weren't, he was making reads, but like these weren't, he's, he didn't turn into uh, like Kyrie Irving, right? Like he wasn't making the pass, like two passes away. He was, he was making the passes that were like laid out for him by the offense. And so like with the addition of Blake Griffin, like he's not able to do that as much. Like if he does it, it's in like a bench role where Blake's off the court and then they kind of go back to that. Um, so like how, I guess my question to you, Sham, is like how good a passer like was Andre Drummond like really this year and like how much do you think that like actually matters for like an offense moving forward do you need Andre Drummond to be a good passer to have like a successful NBA offense I think okay maybe this will be a little confusing but I think I think it's important for Andre Drummond to be a good passer even though it doesn't get get reflected in the assist numbers in that where the where the opportunities are there for him to make a, a you know a, a pass and transition or the right read while in the post or or standing at the top of the key. I think that's important and maybe that's not always reflected in the assist numbers because those opportunities will be less uh, with Blake Griffin uh, on the team. But I do think it is important that he continues to develop his floor vision and IQ when passing the ball. All right, that's fair. It's is it like one of those things where like he if he's passing it, he's not like taking inefficient jump hooks and like, that's what's important. No, just like, you know, if he had, like, if he gets the rebound, um, one of the things that I used to like about him is that he used to dribble, like just take a few dribbles and then find the right guy in transition. Sometimes it'd be in a spectacular pass. And this was before this year, just so we all knew that he was going to become a gifted passer down the line. Um, but I think he should continue to find, to, to look for the open guy, um, when he's he's operating on offense, and yeah, whether it's reducing the number of jump hooks he does, or just finding those one-off passes, but I I I do think his IQ is there. But if he can just step back and kind of examine the offense as a whole and make the right pass uh, going forward, that'd be kind of what I want. Okay, I can I can see that. So Ben, and I want to ask you about the defense because that's more of what you talked about. So with the addition of Blake Griffin, I think we saw kind of a toning down of the, uh, the aggressiveness the Pistons showed on D for a lot of the year. Um, but that, in, that aggressiveness, I think it was a large part of what kept Andre Drummond engaged on that end. I think showing really hard on point guards and, um, and kind of forcing the, the initial, like blowing up the initial pick and roll, like gave him uh, a sense of accomplishment and, and kind of forced him to like stay engaged in the defense or else like his guy was just going to slip to the rim and score. And, uh, 
and we saw what happened like a couple of years ago when they played more drop coverage, which is just like, you know, um, sag off the point guard and like seed the 20 footer and grab the rebound if he misses or, and, uh, and, you know, and if he makes it, like he makes it. So I guess moving forward, um, would you try to, would you trust that Andre Drummond is just going to be more engaged on the defensive end and like have him play a, a more like drop style of coverage on the pick and roll? Or would you like try to keep, try to maintain that engagement by uh, continuing to have him like show really hard? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they continue to use him with Blake. If they'll try to keep Andre more on the, the offensive player who was away from the pick and roll, or if they'll continue to use him as the primary defender up there. I've been like, I think the only guy on the train who's been saying this, but uh, I think Andre Drummond hedging hard on pick and rolls plays to his strength defensively, probably more than any other single thing the Pistons could have done strategically. Uh, it, it just makes sense because we've seen this since his rookie season. He's got really good hands and he's got a knack for for deflecting the ball and, and even stripping the ball sometimes and going the distance famously against you know picking Dwayne Wade and then going down for a dunk. So yeah, if they choose to leave him on the ball, I think they have to continue to choose to hedge extremely hard because I think that's where he's at his best. Um, he doesn't have to think too hard. He just has to defend the ball handler, uh, and that's where he excels. And, and I kind of want to piggyback on what Sham was saying as well, and this links a little bit to what I was saying about Luke Kennard. I think there are certain types of players who, when they become good passers, and uh, I think Andre did that a little bit this season, that can also turn into becoming a good cutter because you tend to see the floor a little bit differently when you're thinking on those terms. And I think in a Blake Griffin offense, uh, because, and that's where we're headed, uh, Andre Dumb's going to have fewer and fewer opportunities to be the hub, Laz, as you called it. But I don't think all is lost necessarily for Andre Drummond offensively, because I think he needs to continue to think about the offense the way he was thinking about it earlier in the season, but he needs to put himself in the role of the cutter rather than the passer. Um, and so, Laz, this goes to the point you raised. Was he just following a script or was he really seeing things organically as a player? I don't know. I hadn't thought of it that way before. It's a really good question. Uh, but there's an opportunity for him to be involved when Blake and Reggie are going to be primarily handing the ball next season. That's fair. That's that I hadn't really thought of his offensive engagement in, in those terms. But that's definitely an interesting uh, way of thinking about things. Thanks, Ben. Okay, so... That's all the starters. That's all the players. We're done. Now, the really the only question left is the question of like what to do with Stan Van Gundy. Um, obviously, the 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 owner Tom Gores and Stan have been meeting for I don't know. It seems like like two weeks now, like two and a half weeks. It's been a long ass time. Um, we got a report from Woj this week that uh, Stan Van Gundy was um being his uh, his usual self and uh resisting changes to the front office. Um, we don't know if that means uh, the loss of his president of basketball operations title. We don't know if that means that uh, Jeff Bio, Jeff Bauer, or the current general manager, Jeff Bauer, um, who I think his contract is up after this season, uh, is just like let go and not retained. Or um, we, we kind of we kind of don't know how to interpret that statement from Woj, but, but that's what we got. So I guess... Uh, Ben, uh, is 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 losing Jeff Bauer like? Will that be the the straw that breaks Stan Van Gundy's back and like forces him to like move out a president of uh, basketball operations with the Pistons? God, like it's hard for me to see a 
a good result of that um, right now. If this had happened six weeks ago, <laughs> you know, it, it almost would have been better to just move on before the season ended rather than drag this out over the course of the summer. Um, also, I think we could we could probably grade Stan Van Gundy. That would probably be an interesting thing to do because I think how you how you feel about how he who he is as a coach and how he's performed isn't informative for this conversation. I mean, it's hard to imagine anything but the scenario you've just laid out. Either either Gores is pushing for changes personnel wise, primarily Jeff Bauer, or he's pushing to have uh, Van Gundy be just the coach and nothing else. Um, and it's hard to see why Stan would want either of those things. You know, if I were him, I would want this next season to prove that the vision I have can be successful and it can win games and it can put butts in seats and it can and make you money as an owner. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess with me, given where we are in the calendar, part of me just thinks let him let him have the rest of the season uh, and evaluate it three quarters of the way and make your decision at that point, either you're moving on or, or you're going to re up. I'm, I'm like 70% sure. The reason you want to grade Stan Van Gundy is to give him a dick minus. <laughs> so like what, what grade would you give Stan Van Gundy Ben? So it, I would look at the, the coaching season in three parts. The first part would be prior to Reggie Jackson getting hurt. And like I was Stan Van Gundy's biggest fan for those first, what, 25 games, however many it was. I don't even remember. 19, were they 19 and 14? So 30-something games. Uh, I thought what he did offensively, implementing bits and pieces of motion offense to supplement the pick and roll, that's exactly what I as a fan had been wanting him to do for two seasons. And, and I thought Tobias's game was well-suited for that. And it, it made sense to have him leading the team in shot attempts and for Reggie to be more of a facilitator uh, and those kinds of things. So I, I was really high. I would have given him an A during that part. I think when Reggie got down, the wheel sort of, the wheel sort of fell off. Um, Stan doesn't seem to adapt well on the fly. He doesn't make adjustments at halftime very quickly. He doesn't seem to be able to get new strategies in place when even minor injuries happen. So the time period between Reggie's injury and then, Blake's acquisition, I'm going to give the dick minus. And then the third part of the season, he eventually sort of reversed himself. Um, I think after the first five or 10 games with Blake, he sort of got a handle for who he had as a player. And I think DBB's own Michael Snyder did a really good job throughout the season of showing how, even though it didn't necessarily lead to increased productivity on offense because guys started missing shots, uh, an offense built around Blake Griffin with Stan Van Gundy scheming has some potential, some still obvious flaws, um, but he sort of righted the ship. So I'd give him a C for that third part. So, I mean, yeah, that's a long answer, but um, it depends on, you know, which part of the season you're looking at. He was really good early. He was, in my opinion, really bad in the middle and then sort of redeemed himself a little bit over the last 15 or so. Games. All right. That's fair. That was kind of long, though. I feel like I lost Sham. Sham, sorry, man. Uh, <laughs> Rewind it a little bit. Uh, so for you, if you were Stan Van Gundy, would letting go of Jeff Bauer be the straw that like broke your back and like forced you to resign? I don't think so. I, Well, I'm conflicted because I don't actually know if – I don't know if, if it's – if it's Tom Gore is necessarily saying, hey, Bauer, you have to go, or if it's Stan Van Gundy saying, hey, 
you know, don't leave me, like, don't, don't cut me as president. Here's Jeff Bauer instead, you know, as the scapegoat. But I don't know about all that, but uh, I think losing Jeff Bauer would be kind of a big loss for Sam Van Gundy because Jeff Bauer has been, has orchestrated a few trades that have kind of saved his butt um, during the the tenure of the Pistons that, you know, uh, during the uh, Van Gundy era of the Pistons. So, I think it would be a big loss, but at the same point, at, at, at the same time, this team is, is capped out. They're not going to do much this summer. The trade market is kind of limited for them too, because their assets that people want are expensive and uh, they have very few young assets to, to trade. So I don't actually know how much of a difference it'll make if Jeff Bauer is gone or here. So I'm not sure, but uh, if we're going to go ahead and grade uh, Stan Van Gundy, in those same three parts that that Ben alluded to, I I would say in 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 the first part of the season where the Pistons went nineteen and fourteen or whatever they were, I would say they they met expectations. I don't think they exceeded the expectations whatsoever. I think nineteen and fourteen is kind of what everybody expected. This a, a, a full healthy, you know, retooled bench roster to to look like. I don't. They didn't. They didn't go on like a fifteen game win streak and. And you know we're sitting at the top of the East for that entire period. They were exactly what we had expected them to be. Um, and then when when Reggie Jackson got injured, I I would give him like an F. There, he didn't. For, first of all, his so-called Reggie insurance turned out to not be great insurance whatsoever. Uh, so he he kind of recycled through point guards. Uh, Ish Smith was there, who was pretty solid, but who would who was going to back him up? Uh, went through Dwight Bikes, tried Langston Galloway, um, and then at the trade deadline made uh, the deal for Jameer Nelson, which lasted maybe a game, and then he he found his permanent spot on the bench. So I would give him an F during that period because, yeah, he didn't make many adjustments after that injury. But after the Blake trade, the team did do a little bit better, but I thought that they would be a little bit better than they were. Their first few wins came against teams that were either tanking or – on the second second game of a back-to-back. So I would say he's slightly below expectations, not not uh, at the Dick Minus level, but uh, definitely at below expectations for me. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I think that... I think the... So I've talked about... I've tweeted about the Pistons' like season as a roller coaster, right? Like, you guys went with 19 and 14, but I think of, like, the 14 and 6 start where they beat uh, like the Clippers with Blake Griffin and Golden State uh, on a on, uh, like on the road back to back, and like they beat Boston at home when Boston was like the number one seed. They uh, they beat Orlando or, or Orlando. They beat uh, Oklahoma City on the road. Uh, like they they had the the markings of like uh, of an elite uh, level team. They were like, a, I think they were a top 10 team in both offense, or they were like a top 12 team in both offense and defense, which was like the sign of a really good team. Then they went on like a seven game losing streak against a bunch of playoff teams. Um, and then they kind of recovered in the rest of the month of, uh, December to like end up at 19 and 14, which I think is like a more realistic spot for, uh, of expectations, like for them for the entirety of the season, if they had like maintained that, but like obviously Reggie's injury happened at the end of December. And so like after that, they just like lost, like I think it was what eight games. Yeah. They lost like eight games in a row. It's so, like it, the, at that point, like you're no longer a 500 team. 
And so I think if if they and there were like a couple really close losses in there, right? There was the uh, that was like the Chicago game when Reggie Bullock like blew the layup at the last minute. That was like the uh, the New Orleans game where uh, AD got hurt in the third and like Boogie scored like twenty points in the fourth quarter. Um, and like that was a game Avery Bradley like could not hit like literally anything. Um, that was also that was the Brooklyn game. No, that was that the Brooklyn game they lost at the last second. I don't know. That was the Utah game. They lost in overtime um, where Andre had like, it felt like Andre had 30 and 30, but like they still lost in overtime because no one could get a bucket. Right. Like, so if, if a couple of those things go better, like maybe, um, maybe Stan looks smarter, you know, like maybe uh, the adjustment he makes um, in a point guard with a point guard driven offense that like doesn't have its primary point guard, like looks a little bit better if they're able to clutch out some of those games. But um yeah, after that, I don't, I don't think you can, I, I definitely don't think you can give him like a ton of credit for um, adjusting the the offense right away. And uh, when Blake came in, he was still having Blake like show like thirty feet out from the basket on pick and rolls, which is like not how you use Blake Griffin. And I was like, and like immediately, I was like wondering why they were doing that. Um, the rotations were always a little bit iffy. I think Luke should have. Luke should have played more. Um, you can always argue that like Langston should have played more. Um, the injury to John Luer like forced uh, Eric Moreland into the rotation. I think in a way that he wouldn't have liked, but like turned out okay. And like if Eric Moreland had been worse, like we would have been relying on like Henry Ellenson or like more Boban for most of the year. So like that's always like an open question. So I think like yeah, careful as. <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't mean to. I mean to trigger you about Boban, Ben. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, like I think I think like Stan Van Gundy like earns like the the dick plus like a like a D plus for the year overall. Like it's just is a very strange year and he should have as as president of basketball ops he could have prepared better for the strange year he had, but you also like I don't want to fault him for for having a very weird year. It's just like unfortunate, but like it's also like you have to be accountable for it at some point. Well, and I think to Stan's credit, the thing that he's done every single season in Detroit well is make a defense that's significantly better than the sum of its parts, right? They're in the top third defensively every single season, essentially, depending on how you're looking at the metrics. That's the one thing Stan Van Gundy does really, really well. It's the offense and the rotations that are just mind boggling sometimes. Yeah. And uh, and a lot of that is like the style of offense that they play, right? Like they don't get out of, out in transition a lot, um, and like the, if they're not playing up and down, and they never go to the free throw line. So like if you're not fouling and um, you're you're never in transition, like it's easier to just like it's teams score less points in half court settings than they do in transition and at the free throw line. So it's it's math at that point. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think that's really all I had planned. Uh, for this week uh sham you obviously were an uh, an amazing guest and we're grateful to have you uh is there anything you'd like to say uh, before we sign off uh i just want to say thanks first of all for having me on uh i i appreciate you giving me a platform to to spew my hot takes and to to hear my my long-winded analyses uh but yeah you can hear me on two gods and a goose it's my my podcast for right now and i'll be writing again sometime so Stay tuned. Uh, I'll look forward to that. Uh, your your piece on Andre's uh, surgery, I think, was like required off-season reading for, uh, for Pistons fans. So I look forward to see uh, where you that. end up next. 
Uh, ben, yeah, no, no problem. Ben, you got any uh, last minute thoughts for uh, for the readership, the viewership? Yeah, Sham, shout out your Twitter handle in case we have folks who aren't following you. Sham's a great follow on Twitter. He's insightful and also hilarious, so I highly recommend it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, it's at Sham Sham God. Uh, it's S H A M S H A M M G O D. All right. All right. So my parting thought would be uh, listeners who stuck with us all season, thanks for listening. Uh, please uh, give us your feedback. Comment on the post or leave us a rating in iTunes as long as it's not a dick minus. <laughs> uh, thanks, Ben. And uh, obviously, you can follow Ben on Twitter at uh, BR Gulker. Ben, what's what's your Twitter name now? You like change it like every half week now. So like, I don't know. Yeah, I think at the moment it's I like Luke Kennard. I was getting so fed up with the Donovan Mitchell, Luke Kennard comparisons that uh, I felt like somebody needed to say something positive about Luke. So I think that's I think that's my name at the moment. Okay, and uh, you can obviously get uh, positive thoughts about Luke Kennard from Ben and from the rest of us at DBB. Uh, you can get positive thoughts for, about Luke Kennard from me at uh, at Last Chance. That's L A Z C H A N C E. Um, This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and uh, we will see you guys next week. 